those nights when one drink with the girls turns into a bottle, but you need your car for brunch the next day. There's pickup. Or at Friday work drinks, where you don't want to leave your car with expensive tools at the pub. There's pickup. Don't miss out on the fun. Get a pickup. Simply book on our app, and we'll pick you up to drive you and your car home. Two drivers arrive, one drives you home in your car, and the other driver follows. Download the pickup app today. That's PKUP, and wake up worry free. Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Motorsports. We're with a treat tonight with one of the names of the Toka and V8 series, a man called Cameron McLean from all the way from Brisbane talking to us down south. Cam, welcome to Inside Motorsports. No, thanks very much, guys. Craig Tony. Glad to be here. It's wonderful to have you here and wonderful the fact that you're, uh, although uh, you're not quite in lockdown, are you at the moment or you've just come out of or just about to go into or? Oh, well, it's hard to keep up. We've come out of lockdown, but we can wear masks here, but we can't wear masks there. But as of six o'clock last night, I think we're sort of free to do what we want to do. We've been lucky in Queensland here. I know all of a sudden there's been like the borders shut, but it's kept kept us safe and kept it contained down there. So, um, yeah, no, we're, we're pretty having a pretty good time up here really for what's happening in the rest of the world so we're appreciative of that. Craig would tell you I'm not a great believer in luck nor coincidences it's good management that's got us to the situation we're in. Let's get on with Cam's very busy career because you've had several careers. Um, Cam McLean father of three husband to Gina uh, a wonderful woman you've got a daughter Georgia is that correct Georgia? Yes absolutely. She's a teacher? Yes grade three. Grade three in and where about does she teach? Teacher, yep. And you've got two sons, Connor and Brady, is that right? Yes, absolutely. Correct. Good memory. And and that they're both obviously no longer living at home, are they? Or they've no, all no, cut through no, and no. left you and Gina for Yeah, I was lucky enough that the boys have moved out, they're all they're all gone and sort themselves out and my daughter because of the teaching, I do three years country service at Gladstone, and um, we were fortunate enough that she came and moved back in with us. So um and then with her comes the boyfriend and all the stuff, but I think they're they're heading off fairly shortly. They got got themselves sorted, and um, but Mum was happy to have a home for a little while, and um, yeah, and they got their own lives to live. So we're happy to see them get out of the nest and go and, and move on and, and start their own future. You know, so it's it's great. Now you're not quite in the uh, parent uh, grandparent uh, babysitting class yet, are you? Oh, I'll have to stick my head out the door and ask them, but no, none yet. There's none here, and none on the way that we know of. So no, but uh, Gina Gina's fairly keen. She's Grandma in waiting for sure. Nothing wrong with that. Cam, your career, um, when I first met you, of course, you were doing two leader. Your father, John McLean, um, was in charge of the whole operation. And uh, there you were competing. Um, when I first met you, it was in um, the E30, the ex-Longhurst uh, BMW. But you didn't start in the two leader series. You started running that car in sports sedans. Yeah, we did a fair bit of club racing up here in at Lakeside over the years, and and we were lucky enough to get that get um, Jones McLean Motorsport bought that BMW from Tony Longhurst Benson Edges Racing, and um, we didn't do a lot to it, and we just ran it as it was, which is probably in, in hindsight a smart thing to do because everyone gets those cars and pulls them apart and tries to make them better. And we ran around, and we we won't end up winning a um, state title in '94, and then and we took it to. Um, down south in 94 for a national title with limited success, might have finished six or something. But then in 95, we we ran it at the Sandown 500 in the sports sand race, and um, and yeah, it was which is a one-off sport national sports sand title, and uh, we won that race, and that was the first sort of national title we won as a team, and it was um, yeah, it was great. It was a bit of a surprise, but it was the only four-cylinder two-liter uh, four-cylinder car to ever win national sports sand title, and. Um, yeah, and we, yeah, we were a little bit surprised, but we had a good car and we treated it right and, and got the got the chocolates on the day. So, yeah, it was, it was a good thing. That little car, was that one of the Australian Frank Gardner built cars, the normal uh, built cars? Yeah, it was one. It was actually one of the last ones built in the world. Like, I wish I still had it because I could, could retire. But um, it it was one of the last ones built in the world. With, it had the big DTM guards and all the lightweight trick stuff and... and um, uh, Benson or Tony Longo's Motorsport or Benson Education. They actually started to do it up. There was a a Thunder Sports series or something that was coming out back then, and they actually got all the 
the plastic lightweight windows and carbon bonnets and all the stuff it came with from Germany, which they weren't allowed to run out here because they made them too fast. Um, and they had all that there, and, and a lot of that stuff came on the car. So it was actually probably a little bit better spec than the touring car, how they ran in the touring cars with the weight and the doors and et cetera. So it was, it was and it was, yeah, bigger brakes. So I went and let it run the six piston calipers or something over here and they were back on it and all that. So, so he did us a really good deal and the car was everything it was supposed to be. So, yeah, and they helped us out with in the future with a bit of setup and a bit of engine parts and bits and pieces of leftovers. So, yeah, it was a pretty, pretty good relationship. That car, the E30, has been nominated as the best ever touring car, I think, internationally, you know, having won in both the World Touring Cars and the British Series, as well as many other places around the world. Um, quite an extraordinary car. So from that car, you then moved, uh, you obviously did some uh, of the two-litre series, which just started up in 94, really. Yep. Yeah, we, did, we didn't do we didn't do any of the two-litre 94, 95, and then... Um, we had that bit of success in 90, 95 nationally. So then um, the guys at Greenfield Mowers, uh, Theo and Lewis Reinhold, they decided that they'd like to have a bit more of this national because they had a national company, you know, so they wanted to market themselves and, and they thought it was a good way through motorsport. They were car enthusiasts their whole lives. So, um, yeah, they decided we want to look at this two-litre touring car stuff and um, and they ended up, we ended up grabbing a E36 from um, Steve Ellery Racing in... Um, in '96, and uh, and we we went on the big stage, which was um, pretty eye-opening, I must say. You know, it was good first race was '80. It was the '80. No, sorry, the '90 '95 Adelaide Grand Prix support race. So you turn up there for the first time in a national series, like a proper national series, and um, yeah, your eyes are wide open for sure. It's a big stage, yeah, a big stage. Pretty much. But you certainly did, yeah, you certainly did the car justice because uh, Steve Ellery had done some very fine work in it to the point where he'd elevated himself into the V8 series. Um, did you from that time have ideas about V8s or you were, you know, because you'd just jumped into this new national series, was that your sole uh, focus? Oh, I've, um, I remember the day... Remember the day Dad bought a colour TV home in seventy something or whenever colour TV, but and, and um, Bob Morris's Falcon was green and and Brocky's car was red and it was a whole new world. And um, always had, I suppose, like a lot of young young blokes, always had dreams of running in it. But to be running in like the national the Super Touring Championship was was further than we ever thought we'd go and ever thought we ever get. And um, yeah, we were really happy to be there and just. Um, Doing our thing and having a go, and um, and so yeah, but I'd, I'd never really, well, I was, I never had a planned map to get into V8s. You know, like a lot of guys plan their Formula Fords and their and their Porsche Career Cups and things like that to get into the V8s and Super Twos and Super Threes, etc. But that was never our goal. It didn't sort of work like that back then. If you if you got the call, you got to drive. You then went on to win two Privateers Cups in two completely different cars: the Opel Vectra. And then back to a BMW with the uh, 320i. Yeah, that's right. Well, the the Vectra was. Um, I actually had to ring Dad and um, John McLean to see what um, how that all unfolded because um, there was a bit of a bit of not really how sure how it came about whether Toker organises for us or um, you know, came through another route. But um, Dad, I wasn't too involved in that part of it. And that was through Greenfield and um, Dad. Greenfield bought the cars and we ran them and. Um, and Dad said he actually got on to Ray Malik Racing in England and talked to the guys and wanted to run a thought we'd get some hold and support, try that, and um, which we didn't. They wouldn't even give us a free badge for the front of the, gr- the grill, but that's what they did back then for the Super Tours. Um, and uh, got into Ray Malik. They put us in contact with the guys in South Africa, and that was um, the factory Opal in South Africa that Mike Briggs ran in the year before and finished fifth in the championship. So... And we got that car over here and um, spent four weeks in customs uh, mucking around. They wouldn't give it to us. They they, they just, you know, it's got to be this, got to be that. It's from South Africa, it's all bad. And um, we got the car to the workshop and back to our, our workshop, our base, and um, started pulling stuff out of it and the, pulled our spare radios out and grass seeds and dirt fell on the ground. And we pulled all the boxes out of it. There was a um, 
some sort of small dead South African marsupial under the under the um, boxes in the back seat. So Pommy Dave went out the back of the workshop, lit a fire, and um, cremated the poor little fellow so he didn't give anyone over here a disease. But, um, yeah, so the customs didn't do their job at all. But they mucked us around for four weeks for the release and put us two weeks late for the, the start of the first race. But, yeah, it was a bit of a problem car from the start, that one. But it got us there. Yeah. You we eventually did rebadge it to a Holden too during that season. Yeah, we did. We sort of we sort of jumped on board and tried to do the right thing and and call it a Holden Vector because they you know they'd come out and um, we never really got any support from Holden, but um, you know the, the no half the people over over here don't know what an Opel is. It's a foreign car, you know, and um, and we got the Holden got a lot more recognition and a lot more acclaim on the track, and you know people received it a lot better. It was badge as a whole, and so yeah, but it was it was a good little car. It's in it's in Ireland now. The guy rang me in a couple of years ago and talked to me about the car and what we did with it, etc. And um, and I told him I, I've actually Gina was born in um, Northern Ireland. I said oh, we go over there from time to time. He said we'll come over and drive one day, but I've never chased it up. But I'd love to get back in it. it. Had a crazy column shift that didn't turn with the steering wheel, so you had to put your hands in the wrong spots on the steering wheel to turn out of the corners to change the gears when you're coming out of the corners. It was a it was an odd little bit of gear, but fast enough on the on the right track, you know, the big like Phillip Islands and that sort of stuff. It was quite a good car. And six outright up against some teams that were getting some factory support. Yeah, that's right. There was it was Super Touring was big, you know, it was um you know, it was BMW and Audi and Volvo and and uh, you know, they had a lot of a lot of a lot of backing and a lot of support and and um, you know we were we had a 22 foot truck and and um, Dave Homer and John McLean and myself sort of working on the car at that stage. So um, you know it was a it was a good effort. You know we were we were happy with what we had and where we got to. It was it was a pretty solid effort. You know and um, and everyone who supported us and was happy with it as well. I think you know it's as much as we expect with what we had. You flipped back to the BMW the next year though. Yeah, it was too good. Um, Diet Coke BMW. I actually, I think it was Morris's car. I've always been a bit mystified about that, but I think it was Morris's car from the year before. And um, but it was a great car. And um, you know, like across across the top of the mountain of Bathurst, it was just it was fast, you know. And we still got a lap record at Eastern Creek in that car. And um, you know, won won the actually won the sports BMW International Sports Driver of the Year. Award and went got flown over to Austria by BMW for that. And, um, you know, we got a um, yeah, it was a nice little holiday in the snow and watched the downhill slalom. And there was a nice couple of little beer tents down the bottom there. And um, Gina and I had a great time, but um, yeah, it was a it was a good car. We won the Independence Cup, I think they called it back then. And um, yeah, it was it was good. There's a lap somewhere on YouTube around Bathurst with Murray Walker and Alan Moffat commentating it. And um, you still watch it from time to time because it's just you can just see how good that car was to drive around there. In '97, when you were running the Vectra, though, you actually ran at the AMP 1000 in the Volvo with uh, is it Jan Nielsen? Nielsen? Yeah, yeah, Jan Nielsen. Yep, Nielsen. Jan Nielsen. He was actually so there was uh, Rickard Rydell and Jim Richards in the other Volvo, and um, yeah, obviously the. Factory English driver and the factory Australian driver, and Jan Nielsen, he was a factory Swedish driver. And then there was um, this young bloke from Brisbane who turned up, well, not so young, but younger than them. And um, we ran around all weekend and didn't get much time, didn't get new tyres. And, and the guys are good, Volvo was all right. They, you know, they shared shared the love with all that sort of stuff. But um, we come out to qualify, and um, and they come back and go, Well done, mate, you're fastest. And I said, What do you mean I'm fastest? Well, you're faster than Jim and Rickard and Jan. And, and the crew and I went, no, nah, it's got to be wrong, but it wasn't. And um, you know, at the beginning, of, I drove. George Shepard nearly fired me on Thursday. I drove out, and I, they were that twitchy those Volvos and funny to drive. I actually did a lap and came back. I said, I think the wheels are loose. You know, something wrong with that. He said, no, no. And then one of the boys sat down and told me about it, how it works and what they do, and turn in and the tow out and this and that, and, and um, drove it to suit once you got the lesson, and um, it was a pretty good thing. I think we finished uh, yeah fifth that weekend, wasn't it? Yeah, somewhere around there, and yeah, yeah. and and it, that wasn't the estate, was it? That was still no. the sedan. Yeah, no, that was just sedan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Tony Scott was the only guy that drove the estate 
in um, Australia, wasn't he? I think from memory. And you teamed up with him in '89 at Bathurst. '98. Uh, '98. Sorry, yeah, '98. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In in, in your own car. Yeah, actually, in '98, that BMW we were driving down um, last lap, coming down Conroy. I just sort of had a bit of a, a a hiccup and a puff and a puff and carried on. And um, the last lap into the chase, rolled through the chase and sort of drove across the stuff. And I went, mean, oh, that's, you know, maybe I thought it was in my head. You know, you get that last lap, we're running fourth and first independent. And um, I thought, oh, something wrong, you know, that might, might be in my head. And when we got the car back to the pits, there's just oil all down the right-hand side and had the, they had a carbon fibre tapper cover on and the carbon fibre the carbon fibre tapper cover was blown off the top of the motor. Like, blew the gaskets out, broke the bolts and and it wouldn't have gone, it wouldn't have gone to... Um, Griffin's Corner. I don't think it would have stopped before then. So we were lucky that day to get get that one with Tony. So Yeah, fourth place on that occasion. What did what did you take out of the super touring experience and and your time running those such a diverse range of cars? I think the cha- changing in hindsight, changing like you know, we had a um B thirty to the the E36 was no drama, 95 to 96, but then going to a front-wheel drive um, Opal or Holden the next year was quite a different thing. It was a completely different animal to drive. Um, yeah, you, had to, you had to deal with the guys in England, get the bits. It's all fabricated stuff. We fabricated control arms and all our own bits and pieces. But um, And then back to the BMW after that. The cars are really, really good and really trick, but I wouldn't say fragile, but they were... Um, Fittiky to get right because they were so good. If you got out of the, the window of setup, they were they were nowhere. Um, and then when you started running the, the V8, so all that was a, was a few more cars. It was a bit more competitive, a bit more intense. It was easier to follow from one year to the next. You know, the cars were quite similar. The rules didn't change a lot when we were running them, and you could run components from you know two ninety nine to two thousand, two thousand and one, two thousand and two, and it was all basically the same stuff. So that was quite cost effective, I guess. Um, and um, but there was a lot more races and a lot longer races, so it was a bit harder on the gear and everyone. But the Super Tourers were a great car, you know. They, you know, I remember driving Jimmy's Volvo at Bathurst, um, and you got into the chase at the brakes, and you nearly did not have enough time to go from six to because they ran first gear through the chase. And you nearly didn't have enough time to get back to first gear because the braking point on those cars was that late. I was still doing two sixty eight or something down the shoot. They weren't that they weren't that slow. They were still quick. Was there a big difference between the 850 and the S40? Yeah, miles, miles different, you know. Um, the 8, yeah, they were just, just another evolution, you know. The, that, as they go, that car was better. I think the aero was better, the, a bit more power and the, everything was just a bit better about it, you know. And uh, I, I did one race at Calder. We ran, I think we ran three cars that day and um, – at Volvo, and you had to do a, a proper a race, and it was still a sprint race before we went to Bathurst, and it was um that was a good thing. You got to feel how how it handled the tyre wear and bits and pieces. But um, yeah, it, it was just it was just it was nice as well. All those funnies were a bit loose in the back, but that's how you had to drive them, get them to turn. But it was um it was a, it was a different car to the 850 for sure. Cam, it's fascinating development because obviously coming from um, state to running uh, local races then through national championships, then winning some of those independent championships. Um, quite something then to jump into the big game of V8s, which was really just about to hit its zenith. It was it was the big show in town then. Um, it was a, a giant jump for you to go into that, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I actually got, um, in 98, I got the call from Gary Rogers because he was involved in Super Tours, obviously, as well with Steve Richards. And um, he... He rang me and um, asked me if I'd um, you know, come and uh, Garth Tanzer's a new bloke on town, young fella, and he's wanted got me to um, come there and have a test at Winton, and we did a test and had a bit of a drive around and um, went all right, got it sorted and signed up to drive with Gary at Sandown and Bathurst that year, and um, and unfortunately um, Garth decided to and Sandown the wet before I got in the car, he he sent it off through the S's over down the back straight and, and tore the back off it and. Um, and in Bathurst, only about lap 25 or something or other, we he tried to we sneak down into Larry into Forest Elbow and tore the right hand front wheel off it. And, and he, he immediately came into pits and said, Oh, pits, put new tyres and fuel in and stuff. And they sent me out. And I said, Oh, mate, someone like this car. And I did a couple of laps and power steering was wrecked and wheel line was out and we had to park it up. So I really, 
in '98 was my first my first foray into V8s, but in '98 I didn't really get to drive a car in in anger in the race, so it was a little bit disappointing. Now you drove for a, a number of V8 teams, both DJR, um, Stone Brothers, um, Kmart. Uh, yeah, you really uh, worked your way through the paddock, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I put, my, I put myself out there. Don't worry about that. But yeah, that, and they were they were good. I had more probably had more success in the in the Fords, and you know probably because I drove them more times, I suppose. But um, yeah, I did. And um, in, so '99 we had our own car. Went to um, I think it was Queensland 500 then, and then we did did Bathurst in where it actually broke. The car, I was driving the car through where John Cullen drives that year, the crazy little Scotsman, he was good baby. And um, he gets out of the car, driving to the pits in 99, and he goes, oh, the, um, I said, how's the car? Everything's good, everything's good, no worries. And I get in the car, drive out of the pits, and, you know, brake pedals to the floor, it's got no third gear, he's destroyed, the, or no fourth gear, you got to hold it in fourth gear across the top of the mountain, and um, did about 20 laps, and it, it just sort of come up through the cutting and then turned right over the little jump to get up the hill there at um, Solomon Park or Reed Park and he just turned hard left into the fence and, and did the wall of death and ground to a halt 100 metres down the track and three or four years later we were um, down at BHAGS who did the Ford Motorsport stuff and um, he had a pile of broken uprights under the car and he said, oh, there are the old DJR, DJR spec ones we used to build and they used to always tear the top pin out and, and, and break and I went, well, I've had the argument for three or four years with people about I didn't crash, it did broke and in the end, we found out a break. But that would have been a good day in '99. We were finished third. We were on track to finish third or fourth, either in front of or just behind Dick. And um, but it didn't happen, so it doesn't doesn't matter. But um, yeah, but John John was a pretty good guy, and, and that was the first year we ran our own thing. We ran that all for all, all year. So um, yeah, it was it was it was a pretty good year. You know, first race we did in Adelaide, we ended up I think six in the first round of the Adelaide 500. So. It doesn't get any better that than your first year. Well, can get five places better, but better than we expected. You obviously did all right um, in and around Dick because he signed you up for the next year. Yeah, that's right. We had um, well, that was two thousand. We had um, we actually ran our sort of the car, we ran our we had old Paul Wheels old car that year, and um, I think we ran. Did I run the? Just trying to think if I ran the 500 Willow Bank within that year, or just I think it was just the Endure, just the Bathurst race, you know, and Steve, and and that's um that year that's probably one of my biggest regrets that year. We the car was quick, um, Steve was on the pace, I was on the pace. Um, we ran around and um, uh, ended up leading the race, and it rained, and the guys in the pits, um, I dick had helicopters in the sky and all the stuff, and someone called us to stay out, and we stayed out, and we should have actually pitted that year, and I. I remember, I remember driving down past the pit lane and actually turned the steering wheel to the left and I went, no, nah, no, nah, it's the first year with a proper, you know, um, one of the big teams and stuff, so you better follow team orders. And I nearly came into the pits, so you'll never know how it ended. But um, but we ended up getting back to 11th there and Steve drove the thing back to fourth like a like a demon. And, um, uh, you know, everyone's got a thousand stories. Everyone who's been there has got a thousand stories how it got away, but um, that's just one of mine. But we, we could have, we probably, we might have won it. Who knows? But, um yeah, he got, he got me back, and he was a good guy. I enjoyed driving for Dick. It was, it was good, good fun and good cars. Probably one of the most uh, interesting times in the land of supercars when uh, <laughs> the man who owned the team um, decided he wanted his car because um, there were things that were different. Now, this was 2001, Queensland Raceway. It would have been the Queensland 500. Yep. Neil Bates is sharing the car with you, and things occurred. You had yeah. different well, ideas, was, or someone else had different ideas. Well, there's obviously different ideas. So um, I was actually at, um, yeah, I was I was still so Friday Friday practice at um, Queensland Raceway. I was Neil was out pounding around doing a few laps, getting you know bedding some brakes and getting used to the car and doing. We gave him the whole day, and um, I um, I was actually still at Everton Hills working in. Claim motors there, fixing cars and getting stuff sorted, and was going to go out tomorrow because we'd done a few laps around there and previous testing. The restrictions weren't as bad back then, and um, and uh, I'm at work there one day, and Gina comes in and says, "Oh, your dad's got to talk to you on the phone." And when when and chat, um, sorry, um, Roscoe's got to talk to you on the phone. I went in there and um, he goes, "Oh, the car's just been towed away." So we had a we had a situation where we had a contract with Greenfield. This is my understanding, allegedly. 
uh, we had a contract with Greenfield that um, there was a certain amount of signs but to be on the car and, and in a certain position, certain sizes of their logos. And we always need to find another sponsor to help fund the running of the team. So we found another sponsor and um, obviously it was Tony Quinn from BIP Pet Foods and um, put him on the bonnet and I think on the front guards and left Greenfield very prominent and as per the contract and um, and Theo got wind of it um, and didn't like it and and then uh, next thing you know there's a sheriff with a, a letter and a, and a tow truck and the car gets towed away and they said the car just towed away, don't bother coming out tomorrow. So... I didn't know much more than that. I went out there, went out the next that night, and the car was definitely gone. We tried to try to deal with it Friday night and make amends and sort it out, but nothing happened. But at the end of the day, it all it, we all had contracts, everything was sorted out, and uh, it was green for Greenfield owned the car. There's no question of that. So it was their car, and um, we we um, over the you know, over the next month or so, it ended up going to court, got sorted out, and settled in the steps, but. So we were allowed to race the car for the next two or three races at the end of the year, and we couldn't race it at Bathurst. So once again, 2001, Dick gave me a call, and I think I think um, there was someone had some drama with one of his cars during the, the um, Queensland 500 race, and um, and he gave me a ring and got me to drive him for him again that that year. So, um, but end of the year, end of the day, we we got the car back. We were allowed to run it as per the contract and as per the you know, stipulations, and so I believe we were right. Whether it was handled right or wrong, which is oh, we'll never know, unfortunately, because um, uh, the, the guys of Theo Reinhold and Jamie Blake, who were, were involved in that discussion, were, are no longer with us, so we'll never find the truth out, which is sad to say. Miss them both. Roscoe, the man you're talking about there, was Ross Dillon, who was a telephone yep. uh, entrepreneur, and he was one of the partners in Paragon Motorsport. Yeah, Ross was. There was um, there was myself, uh, Jamie Blakey, Michael McMahon, and Ross Dillon, and we. Um, uh, that Greenfield Mowers was sort of coming to the end of, you know, uh, end of, well, run out of, not money, but, you know, just didn't want to spend that much money on it anymore, didn't have the money to spend it, which was basically that. And um, and when it got to the next level, we got a team together and we put it to Dad and he he, um, he sold it to us. And then we, from Greenfield Motors, Motorsport, Paragon um, Motorsport was born and Greenfield Motors Racing, Paragon Motorsport was born. And um, yeah, and that that was that, and that started in um, 2001. Stevie Hines was one of the first employees. He's a fabricator and yeah. mechanic. Yes, yeah, he was. Uh, he was a yeah, he was. He was Stevie Hines. He was good. He built a good car. He worked for Australian Brothers for a long time. I think he might have worked for Dick a bit before that. And um, when Hines, he was having a good day. He was a great guy. But sometimes, some days, it got a, got got on top of him. So. Yeah, yes, they, they did. And and he'd let you know that they had got on top of him. He oh, wanted yeah. to share his news. He didn't want to keep yeah, he didn't want to keep it all to himself. Um no, he was dangerous mechanic pit lane. Don't worry about that. Yep. Um the other guy was Bruce Partington. Yeah, well, Bruce is a great guy and um Doug was his dad and Doug was one of the first guys to do the the merchandise stuff with Dick Johnson actually in, in the Sierra days, I think. He he put it to Dick to do a deal and whatever he sells, Dick gets a percentage and yeah, they did a lot, a lot of that sort of stuff. But um, and that's how Jamie came about. Jamie was friends with Bruce, and they they were involved in their own motorsport. They had um, Formula Fords and I think NASCARs and a few things. And and um, Jamie's going away and help Bruce drive, uh, run Bruce's car, NASCAR, and bits and pieces. And and Bruce wanted to bring him along, so he was so good to us. Yeah, we said, mate. And Jamie was a good guy. He was very very computer savvy and. Um, you know, business savvy, I suppose, and yeah, and helped us along. He was instrumental in um in the next year with the VIP Pet Foods um the deal with the with Tony Quinn. Bruce Partington Sorry. and his father Doug um were involved heavily in starting up first of all the Motorsport uh, uh, Academy, the Motorsport uh, Tape in Albury, yep. and then the one at um, not Toowoomba, it's at Warwick. um oh, was it Warwick? Warwick, yeah. Um, yep. so. Th- yeah, long, long history at motorsport. Um, now, um, the other people involved in your team, um, Ross, you're still friends with Ross and he's still around? Yeah, yep. Yep, I talked to Ross. Yeah, he's, he's actually got out of motorsport, got into a music importing business, a musical instrument importing business and a, and a horse start and did a few bits and pieces. And I think he's living a bit of the quiet life with his wife, Pav, up up uh, near Mullaney in behind Budra, uh, sort of north coast, 
Brisbane and Budrum and yep. yeah, I talked to him from time to time. He's a good guy. We're still friends and yeah, he's um yeah, he was he was really helpful in the early days, like especially probably, yeah, all through that Paragon and um and the, the little super touring end of the super touring stuff, you know, and um yeah, he couldn't definitely couldn't done without him. He was he was good and um we'd we'd take cars, he'd have his he had his own um he's a motorsport enthusiast too, just a bit late blooming. He didn't start till it was a bit later and he had our Commodores, he ran in improved production and hired Lotuses and race cars. When we were, when we were racing the V8, he'd find something to, have to do on the weekend as well. So, yeah, it was always entertaining watching him run around, have a, have a good time. And back in 2000, a lot of people probably don't remember, but there was so many teams. Just some of the teams that people might not remember, Lansvale Smash Repairs, you had uh, well, Gibson Motorsport was, of course, Rodney Forbes and Craig Lowndes the first year of, of that effort. But you had Larkham with one car, Perkins with two, Emory Motorsport. Uh, you had Brad Rod Jones Nash. just making the move over at that time, McDougal, Dougal yep. McDougal, Team Kiwi. Uh, Paul Romano was out there. Paul Morris was out there. Steve Ellery, you know, yourselves, Paul Wheel. Uh, John Faulkner had uh, at least two cars. Yeah. Clive Wiseman, Rod Nash had uh, the starting or the early portion of his career. Briggs Motorsport was uh, in its formation. And uh, then Paul Little was also running a, an AU with Anthony Tratt. And that doesn't even talk about Wyhoon, Cedars, Morris. Halliday, uh, Matthew White, Harris, Rickshaw. And all these other guys that might have just turned up, you know, for a few races, and uh, and then you know didn't didn't do much more than that. It, well, it's such they, a different um, world, isn't it? Oh yeah, huge. Like they did the the pre qualifying. Like you know, if you had, I think there was like yeah, different tracks at different numbers. Like I think uh, Tony, I think Tony, I remember Tony telling me one time we were up at um, Hidden Valley, and the car we started the race, and there was forty three cars on the grid. Yeah, and there was local guys from up there which had V8s. I didn't even know where they got them, what they were, you know. And um, he said, you actually hold the, lap, the record for passing the most cars in the first lap. So I went down the outside, round the curb and came back in and passed, like, I don't know, whether it was 10 or 20 cars, I got no idea, or five. But there was there was a huge amount of cars. And Adelaide used to start, you go back down to the hairpin and go round the corner, back up behind the pits. You know, you, you actually had to start the race, accelerate down to the hairpin, brake, and then accelerate if you're at the back, you know, it was, it was a different world, you know, was, and probably in some ways it made the racing less sterile, you know, 24 cars running around a 6.2-kilometre track. It's, yeah, unless it's a, yeah, the races have been good, but it can, it can get it can get a bit spread out, you know, so, um, but there was a lot of different guys, everyone's having a crack, and people, I remember um, with the EL in 99, we, um, what do we do, we, we uh, blew, blew oh, we, first time we did a deal with Lisa and a few di- motors from Dick and one of the motor blew up and qualified and we qualified last and we went in the race and um, went and saw Richard Mork it was and he said, oh, there's another one, Morky. Um, and he, he was the last car on the grid and he was sort of mucking around, not too serious, but he, yeah. And we said, what's the go? I think the guys, we went and saw him, what's the go? What do you want to do? Any chance you want to, yeah, what will it take to get you to uh, maybe say something's broken. He said, well, you give me a new front spoiler from a VS Commodore and I'll, I'll let you start. And we did. He did. And now we, we got to start at Eastern Creek the first round, you know. So so those sort of things did. And there was some certainly some characters. And he was the same guy that got, um, I think, banned for doing donuts in the paddock at, after the race at Bathurst. But definitely a character. Yeah, and you're probably pre-qualifying out at Malala. Just to get yeah, to the uh, Grand Prix track. Yeah, that's right. We, we were lucky enough though that I'd actually driven Super Tours a few times at Malala, so I had an idea of the track. But it's quite bizarre in there to think that you can go to a track that is completely different, as in even in, not even because of the location, but the, the style of the track is completely different to the Adelaide track. And you, if you're the quickest one at the little country track, which Malala is a great track, you then qualify on the street circuit. So. Which mean you, you know, it's just it was just quite such a an odd concept. But they had to do something because they had too many cars, so the thing was exploding in that that period. You know, in '99, you won the uh, Privateers Cup or Championship. Um, they were separate races, weren't they? Some of them. Yeah, Saturday, Saturday afternoon, 
we would um, – I was myself and Rodney Forbes, actually, who were sort of sort of in there, and there was the, the – uh, like I said, the Lansvales. I think – I don't know if Tratty was in there, Anthony Tratt. There's another one. There's so many, isn't there? You forget about them all. Um, and, yeah, you'd get – there was probably – there could be 15 cars in the privateers race on Saturday, um, Saturday afternoon. Yeah, so we actually did an extra race compared to the, the main – you know, with, added on to the main races. So, um, yeah, that's right. It was, it was um, I think we did it – it wasn't every round. It was my Eastern Creek, Queensland Raceway. Yeah, you know, I think Darwin did one. Um, yeah, but, yeah, it was certainly – it was another thing you actually had to try and try and achieve. And I don't – I can't remember if you've got any more tyres on it now, but, um, but you, yeah, it was certainly Saturday afternoon. You had to jam another race in between qualifying and all the other guys doing the setup in their car for Sunday and we're, we're, we're ripping around the track wrecking them again, you know. And you were, of course, on Dunlop tyres then. No, we – so Dick had the EL set up for Dunlop in 98 and then they changed to Bridgestone. That year, 99. So the, the first half of the year, we sort of – well, the setup is quite different now. The Bridgestone tyres are completely different. So that, that was the first year of the control tyre when we when we went in there. You know, the, you guys were running Yokohama, like Gardner and those guys, and then Dunlop and Bridgestone. And, and we, the first year we went there was um, when you – when you yeah, when you turned up, you got, you got your allocated 14 or 22 Bridgestones, and away you went. And if you finished in the top 10, you got your money back, you know, so – the rich got richer, but that'll what changed in the future. You know, the tyres came down to a set price, and it's the same for everyone. Sanity prevailed. There was a period though when uh, it was really a, a run what you brung series with a few control parts, but over time, <laughs> they certainly brought in more and more control parts, and a lot of the times under the guise of cost saving, and other times, uh, well, it wasn't altruism. No, that's right. Deals were done, weren't they? So, yeah, I, th- I think the idea was right. You know, you, um, yeah, control breaks and control, uh, but you got to get the right parts to do it too. You know, you can't have. I don't think anything was bad, but um, it's got more and more since we left this. Yeah, we were last time we had any involvement in that sort of stuff was 2002, which is a long time ago now. But um, they were just talking about all that stuff. We went through the bit where they changed from um, to a limited franchise, but the the engine development. You know, they still had the seven and a half thousand revs and the ten and a half compression, but they didn't have they didn't have um, weight limits on crankshafts or pistons or conrods or clutch assemblies or or light or rear, you know, axle assemblies like the EL and stuff we had had like this fabricated T welder. Yeah, I hate to think how much it cost, but then they changed it to 120 kilos or whatever it is for the diff weight, and that that limited people spending all that sort of money on that stuff, which brought, which I guess brings it back to the privateers and the the lower budget guys a bit. But that's what you want, you know. You want a you want a um, a winner that's not expected to win, or you know. Uh, and the cream will always rise to the top at the end of the year, but it's nice to get a few different different faces on the way through. Do you think it's a bit of a demise of now, supercars maybe. that they don't have that that privateer aspect and they don't have, you know, because they certainly then went into grouping small teams with big teams and limiting when you could practice and test, and it, it became very, very difficult for a small team to operate. Yeah, you were limited... With what you could do and your resources, but um, I guess they've got Super Two and Super Three, but that's the Super Two is nearly as dear, you know, per kilometre to run as the. You've got to be involved with a Triple Eight or or an FBR or you know DJR or something like that. And um, yeah, we've gone from having cars pre-qualifying and 43 cars out there trying to get into a 32 car spot or 40 car spot depending on the track to, you know, they're not giving franchises back to. to Tim Edwards at FPR there, you know, like they, they probably, he's got the money and got the infrastructure to run a car, run the car, but I don't know whether it's the, the pool, price pool gets smaller or the, you know, the pool gets smaller or the, or the, you know, they can certainly fit the cars on the track and they've got the pit lane facilities to do it. So I'm not, I'm not sure and I'm not involved enough in it now to know what's going on. But um, I think they just, yeah, more cars, get them in there, but uh, yeah, it's it's. I haven't been involved enough to know exactly what's going on, but I think what's better than twenty four is thirty four. Well, of course, it's the slice of the apple pie that um, the current owners concerned about, and 
you put more more cars on the track, more franchises, and they all get smaller parts. And of course, yes. they, uh, many of them are running very close to the wind now. So you know, just can't afford to. Ex- it's, it's no, that's right. They, yeah, that's right. To get a smaller um, wedge. We used to get when we when we and um, yeah, Briggsy and Lansvale and Ross Dillon were quite instrumental, I think, in getting the um, the franchise thing sorted out. And uh, a, few, you know, a few other guys I can't quite remember now, but. Um, so, you know, going from anyone can run to getting a franchise sorted out, a lot of people will hate it, and, and I don't think it's a bad thing, but they probably should have some more franchises, but they obviously need the budget to do that, and, and so, the, so the price for, or the, you know, the, the piece of pie gets stays the same, but um, they, they um, you know, got involved in doing it, but then they went to having a level one and a level two franchise, so like the HRTs and the, Dick Johnsons and the Stone Brothers and all those guys got level one franchise, although they're getting X amount of dollars per year, and we were getting twenty five percent of X as a level two franchise. Us and Ellery's and Morris was there, as everyone knows. Morris is the one that was rowing that boat for everyone, and 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 finally, I think it's come through, and and they're on a level playing field now, which I think everyone puts in the same effort in the same time. And if you get a bit bit more of that pie, you can put in a bit more effort and be more competitive. So, you know, you did a good thing by doing that. You sold up. What was the reason behind that? Oh well, the truth of the matter was, um, we we had a budget. And, you know, we had close to a million bucks to run in that year, and then we were putting uh, some guys were putting money in, and we were a forty percent shareholder, and we we're wondering how we we're going to do it and how we we're going to keep going next year. And Quinny was Tony was good to go from VIP, um, and things were tight. Like I said, flying close to the wind, we flew close to the wind every time we were racing. You know. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you'd, be, you'd be checking the bank account to buy the tyres on, on Saturday afternoon to qualify. So, um, and we we got to the point where it wasn't unsustainable, but it, it, it could have gone each way next year. And then um, we were sort of talking about what to do, and we had a deal with Tony Quinn, and uh, we had some yeah you know, some other sponsors, all all not too bad. The staff were staying, and then um, David Dexon turned up, wanted to buy a team, and we worked out a figure and told him, and he. Said I'll take it, and we handed him the keys and walked away. Just um, it, it it was it it got us all out of the, out of well, out of well, not hock, but um, you know, got us lined everything back up again, and we could all move on. And we had to go. We had to go for three or four years. But like I said, back in the Super Tour days, it's further than we ever thought we'd get in in motor racing Australia. And you know, we loved. I still miss it every day, but um. You know, I'd love to love to be still doing it and involved somehow. And, and it's only I haven't chased it up that I'm not. But um, yeah, and David got it, and we worked for David Dexton for a while. And yeah, you know, we all know that story and how it ended. And um, but yeah, he, he employed Bruce Partington and a few other guys on the team. And and um, yeah, he just turned up, wanted to buy a team at the at sort of a time when we were a little bit vulnerable, I suppose. And we so we, we jumped at it. One of the things I should say is that Kerry Packer is well known for saying that only one Alan Bond usually comes into your life. And David Sexton was your Alan Bond, a man who uh, came and bought the team and, uh, as you said, um, got you out of a hole and, and, you know, gave gave you some jobs for a while as well. Um, Unfortunately, David Sexton didn't didn't quite have the driving talent that he thinks he has. So David Sexton was a New Zealander. He still is. He'd sold a family juice company in New Zealand to Coca-Cola. Had got himself a, a big windfall, came to Australia. One of the unfortunate things was that he still had a wife in tow. And David had all these assets sitting around, very bright, shiny assets, which he had to get rid of uh, fairly quick. And I was probably the only journalist who on a regular basis would go in that truck, which, of course, was your old truck, Transporter. Yep. And um, David would sit there and tell me, uh, you, you probably know the story of him and the ex-possum... Uh, uh, Subarus, how he'd compete yeah. in New Zealand rally, and and he told me about how if he'd had the time that all the guys he was racing against in supercars, if he'd had the time they'd had, he'd be just as quick. He told me. Well, we all know that he went training in MGs and all sorts of different things. And who bought the uh, transporter and cars and bits and pieces? Yeah, we just we just gave him the keys. That's all yours, mate. See you later. No drama. Good luck and. Um, and the difference, you know, like he sold the big company, like um, Gina and I mortgaged a house to buy a race team, you know, which is probably one of the stupidest things they ever do in life. But, um, yeah, we were committed to the cause and we, we, we had a house we owned and we, we put it on the line to, to buy a truck and a car and drive around Australia and see what we come up with, you know. So, 
and I think when you, you know, well, we wanted it, maybe we wanted a bit more than he did. You know, he, he thought he should be there. I don't know what his mindset was, but, um, yeah, he didn't didn't quite have the, the raw speed that he needed to qualify. So, unfortunate. Shame to see the team go like that, but, you know, that, that's what happens sometimes. You know, while you're saying that you mortgaged a house to, to race, you built up a business before and after that uh, had been your father's business. You built it up, then you turned it into a tyre power store. And the good management, and I'm not going to go good luck, the good management you had was selling <laughs> no, your tyre business. You're selling your, your tyre power business four days before the COVID um, pandemic hit Australia uh, on the 13th of March at the Australian Grand Prix. Four days beforehand, you sold your tyre power business. That is good timing, sir. And for yeah, that, that is- your wife, Gina, um, yeah, so I I take my hand off to you, sir. That's um, fantastic management. Yeah, and let's let's not forget Gina's been a, a massive part in everything. You know, she she was always she'd bring that we'd be working on the race car whether it was Everton Hills or Bow and Nudgee or wherever we had them stashed at that time. She'd she'd pack up dinner and bring the kids up, and we'd all sit at the smoko table and have tea with Dad and muck around with them for an hour or so, and they'd fall asleep, and she'd pack them in the car and take them home, and then then I'd go out and see what Bruce and and the guys are doing, and um, you know, we'd start we start working on the cars again, and and sleep in the truck, and and all that sort of stuff, you know. Which I'm sure there's a lot of people around the country and a lot of races around the world that have done it, but yeah, you know, that's what you got to do if you want to be there. So, you know, she she was, um, and in building those businesses and keeping keeping food on the table and and looking after sort, you know, she was a very important part of it all, as you know. I do indeed, and of course, uh, we should make comment that the race space from Bill was parked at your workshop. Um, not because it was a choice <laughs> camping site, but the repairs were being needed. <laughs> I said, to, I said, to, uh, I said to my daughter this afternoon. I said, if Tony gives me a hard time, I'm going to start. I'm going to bring up the the race facts transporter stories. But anyway, we won't. We don't need, that's another time. Indeed, but I will comment and I will tell people the one thing I know is that while service operators from the RACV, the NRMA, and the RACQ, not one of them did what you did when I arrived with a boiling, steaming Ford Tragic motorhome. You put your hand on the bottom of the radio and says, oh, thermostat stuck. Yep. <laughs> of course, by that stage, I'd already cooked the head gasket and stuck the engine, but you brought it all back to life. So we're yeah, no, grateful. It still tickled. lives. Oh, you still got it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Yeah. You sell it. Now looking to sell it. Yeah, uh, good stuff. Remiss of us not to cover. So, when you'd actually sold the team and Texans uh, doing his thing, you then went on the uh, the driver the annual pilgrimage to Bathurst. Um, yep. So it was you did Kmart. Yeah, that was not my finest moment. Um, Two thousand and three, um, Smith Trucks entry. Oh, Owen Kelly, Kelly. Um, when it wide and turn one, we're probably running. I, I actually had an off in qualifying. We, we were, yeah, doesn't matter. We had an off in qualifying. We were going for a good result, and it was my fault. I, um, we end up qualifying a twentieth, twenty second, eighteenth, or something. You know, it wasn't last. There's a lot of cars behind us, like we talked about before. And um, and um, guy went wide. I, I'm not sure. The Smith truck Commodore anyway, and came out wide on through turn one, came back in, hit me in the right rear wheel, and just. Turned me hard right into the fence, coming about just on third to fourth gear, which would be you know all of a hundred and anywhere from forty to eighty kilometres an hour, and just absolutely destroyed the car, you know. So uh, that was over, and that was over quicker than it started, really. So only about four gear changes, and then poor old Andy Prio came over all the way from England, and you know he didn't get a steer in the race, and it was just terrible, you know. It, Gut wrenching sort of stuff, you know. And the car, such a nice car, they presented and fast and straight line, and, and that was the year that Murphy did a lap of the gods. So if it could get any worse, I don't know how, but you'd have to you'd have to tell me. Um, but that's all right. You, you drove right. for five or six different teams. Is there one that you particularly remember? Not just whether it was successful, not one you enjoyed more than the others. You know, the GRM, DJI, FPR. You know, I, I actually enjoyed the two. Probably two. I enjoyed. Um, I enjoyed. DJR and probably um, in Bathurst after our own stuff, DJR and Stone Brothers because um, there's two, oh, you know, the cars are good and second at Sandale, the Stones and six at Bathurst and I think we had 
two I drove a dick three times and led two races, Queensland five hundred and Bathurst and finished fourth and probably I don't know, fifth or sixth or something there, Queensland, two fourths at Bathurst and and um then we were driving we were um I was lined up with Dick at the Bay Marie at Bathurst one Sunday morning before the race and um and I'm standing there beside him. I don't know why I was beside him, but I was standing there and um I said, Oh, what what are they you thinking? He said, Oh, they're they're sheep's brains. And I went, Oh. He said, I had sheep's brains in um when I won in nineteen eighty one. And I went, Okay, looks like I'm eating sheep's brains, so I ended up having sheep's brains for breakfast for Bathurst two thousand and I've never had a sheep's brain in my life before, but Dick said do, so we did that and he was a good guy. He let us look around the engine bay and look around the cars, and he knew we had our own team and stuff at that stage, and um, pretty pretty relaxed sort of stuff, you know. And, and Stone Brothers are the same. They went down to they give you a tour of the car and you look under it and bits and pieces. And Jimmy Stone said one day, he said, mate, um, he said, you can look at everything you want, but you'll never see the bits that make you go fast. <laughs> that makes you feel comfortable. <laughs> Maybe it's the Queensland thing, I don't know. Um, I, of course, you were driving in an era that was pretty fantastic because there were certainly far more cars on the grid than the 24 now. And But it was an era also of, you know, the big catering. I mean, I, I started doing I the, uh, the Last Suppers. Yeah, the Last Suppers I started doing in race facts. And it was because you'd hear fans talking and saying about how oh, they probably all live on pies and fish and chips or something or other. And, and I went, wow, this is so wrong. These people don't understand. And I remember the guy, Bob, I, I can't remember his surname, he, uh, Dick, Dick Johnson's. He used to own the Fuddruckers uh, hamburger joints in Queensland. Yeah, he yeah. was in charge. He was the chef for DJR. And, and he did, and he showed me one year they had, they did a crock and bush, which is a profuser rolls all piled up. I mean, it was the most extraordinary thing. But there they are, the biggest race of the year, and this guy's making this dessert of this giant French. Sugar. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Well, they, they, I'd get lists of the menus. Yeah, they weigh you before you get in and out of the car, and they, you know, they want you to do this and want you to do that, which is all fine. Then they put that in the table in front of in front of you and expect you not to eat it. That's why Sunday nights back then at Bathurst were so much fun. Yes, indeed, indeed. Either your boys or your daughter involved in racing in any way? Actually, I bought, I got a, um, an old, there's a, there's a little dirt track out near Queensland Raceway at Ipswich there. It's um, Ipswich and Westmorton Auto Club, grassroots, you know, start of motorsport. And I took them all out and um, and Georgia ran around. She had a ball. She was the fastest lady ever in and there. She's, what you say, it's an emotional roller coaster, Dad. I don't know how you do it. You know, one minute's all going good and then you're out of control backwards in third gear and, so she did it for a few years, and then unfortunately to Gladstone, so it stopped. And uh, Brady did it a bit; he wasn't too interested. But Connor's, um, he's coming along pretty. He, he's like over two minutes; he's a couple of tenths slower, so I don't than me. So I don't know if I'm getting slower or he's getting faster. But but we have a good time. There's about four or five of my friends that I grew up with, and they were kids about the same age, and we all go and have a skid around the dirt and a bit of fun and low stress, low expense, and. And the kids have, you know, well, the kids are 24 now, but we all have a really good time. And, and uh, But we're going to try and get him on something bitumen-orientated soon. So just got to work out what to do once this COVID stops so where we can where we can go racing, you know. And and that's going to uh, happen in the next few months or so, you imagine? Yeah, well, we've got, um, well, I th- well, who knows when, when it's going to stop. Yeah, you, know, you still can race locally and stuff. And um, But, yeah, we, we spent a fair bit of time put all on hog, sorting out the business and, Getting it ready for sale and selling it to the guys and doing the right thing and um, so yeah we, we we lost a bit of time there but yeah we'll we'll see what happens around the corner it depends on um, same things it's um, time effort and money and we've got to see how much we want we've got of all those things from me and him and everyone around us so we'll see what happens just very quickly just running through the people um, in the team we we haven't talked much about him but um, Jamie Blakey was somebody I got to know when he'd moved to Melbourne and of course he was the man behind. Carrera Cup on, on two occasions. Uh, first off was a um, uh, partnership that he was in with Tony Quinn and um, Jeff Morgan. Yeah, and okay, then yeah. when Porsche asked him to be the motorsport manager. And um, Jamie was a delightful man and there are an awful lot of people in Australian motorsport who maybe come through Carrera Cup that uh, will forever be indebted to him. And uh, he obviously played a, a large part in when the team formed as Paragon. Yeah, he did. There was there was um, the four of us as I said and like I yeah, I, I guess I was there to drive the car and Michael Maman was a, a more silent partner but we was in full involved in the meetings and, and um 
Ross was probably an operations manager, I suppose, but Jamie was, um, you know, for a better choice of words, operations and sponsorship, et cetera. But Jamie was pretty integral in building that white car and um, uh, organising that stuff and getting getting get, making things happen and getting, you know, talking to Quinny and dealing with um, Greenfield Mowers and all the other sponsors. And, yeah, he, he put a lot of time. He put he, It was his life. He put his heart and soul on it. He, he used to live in Ballina and he moved up to Brisbane to, to do all that and, um yeah, he was he was hundred percent committed. There's nothing there's no doubt about that. Stevie Hines, now we've talked a little bit about him. He was a formation member. What's he up to nowadays? He he rang me a few years ago and um, I said, Oh Hines, it's good to talk to you. What's going on? He said, I'm living in South Springs. I thought he was going to invite me out for a party or you know, fiftieth or sixtieth or something or other, I don't know. And he um he said, Oh, my, my daughter's car's playing up to you, reckon you could have a look at it for me. <laughs> no, no worries. So, but he's good. He's out at Alice Springs. I think he's got a workshop out there, and uh, blast I hurt, and I'm um, having a pretty good time. And same deal. Got away from the the, the bright city lights and the, you know the the big show in town, and and because you know, he did, he did a lot of motorsport before he worked for us. You know, he was always working for his old Stone Brothers, and like a bit of Dick Johnson, and 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 obviously other categories. And and he was ready. He's had enough, and he was ready to ready to do something different. So, yeah, hopefully he's out there still having a great time and enjoying the sunsets. Uh, another person introduced to uh, through your team was Donald Kington, and I've seen him for many years, and he's been involved in GTs and Porsches, and I know he's yep. still actively involved in motorsport. Yeah, he was um, he was involved in motorsport. Well, back to the Tony Scott thing. They, Tony owned an Ampol service station down the road from McLean Motors, or John McLean Motors when we were kids back then, and um, Donald worked for Tony. And Donald used to, uh, Tony used to run like Mazda. I think he had RX3s or you know some all these little like club cars and sports sedans and things like that. And Donald worked for him there, and and we sort of got to know him way back then. And he um he used to he when we ran the Porsche and the Career Cup, he came away. It was me and my brother, the only two of us that went away. Jason that went away doing the Career Cup, and I've uh, actually fallen out of touch with Donald a bit, but um but he yeah he was yeah he, he's a solid thorough. That's obviously why he's still involved in the game, you know. He, he, and he was in the Volvos when we ran the Volvo in '97, and with um, '99 with Jimmy and stuff, he was involved in all that stuff with Walkinshaw uh, TWR, and yeah. So he, he's been around a long time, done a lot of stuff in motorsport, and I think he's I think he's involved in the um, Career Cup now, isn't he? With maybe Largo last time I saw Roger Largo. So, but yeah, he, he prepares a good race car and does a good job, and mate, I'd, I'd yeah. Yeah, I've got faith in what he does to a car. I'd get in any car that he's worked on. Yeah, indeed. In fact, Lamborghinis, of course, and, and travelled overseas with Roger and Dave Russell and um, Steve Owen and a whole bunch of them. Um, yeah. Uh, the Tony Scott you're talking about, of course, is the son of uh, Glenn Scott, who died um, in a race car uh, many years ago, a very famous uh, open-wheel driver from the 1960s and 70s. Um, yeah. One other guy, just uh, briefly, is Bruce Partington. What, what's Bruce up to nowadays? I think Bruce is. Um, last I heard, he was driving for or working or organising a freight company, logistics at a freight company, like semi trailers and that sort of stuff in Newcastle. So um, I haven't. He had a, he had a dabble in running Super Two or whatever they were, Conica back then. I think Conica Series they called it, uh, running the Level Two V8s. For a while after that, and then um, you know, um, got married and uh, moved on, and went and just like got a normal job, a bit like a bit like Heinz, I suppose. Um, got a normal job and and started living his life. But he definitely definitely had a motorsport for a fair while after after we were involved. But he's um, last I was down in the Newcastle area running a trucking company. The last person I want to speak to you about tonight is a guy who has the same name. In fact, he gave his name to you. Your father, John. Um, I uh, I last saw him in Allera, um, yep. and uh, he was the uh, NRMA. No, sorry, the RACQ man in Allera. Um, where is he now, and what's he up to? Yeah, well, my dad was as keen as you know, like for motorsport as we were, obviously, because we all did together. We did it as a family. We used, to, we used to take a car out, a Brock Commodore, out to Lakeside for the Brock Commodore day, and yeah. I'd be fastest, dad would be second, mum would be third, and mum would be the fastest lady. So he always loved his motorsport. And, and I remember telling to dad one day um, when we were, you know, once again running out of money, which happened regularly, uh, I said, we don't need to do this. We don't need to be running around, you know, 
if, we, if it's all too much, we can we can park it up, and it is what it is. We've had a go, and um, he said to me, um, he said, you know what, you're out there running around with, um, you know, racing against Larry and Buddy Brocky and whoever it is, you know, and Dick and etc. And um, he said, but I'm in here racing against, um, you know, Fred Gibson and um, all, all the guys that run the team, Firth and not Firth, but they're older. But he said, I'm, I'm enjoying as much in here and I wouldn't do it if I didn't want to and, I'm, and we'll, we'll keep going as long as we can. And, um, and you know, I appreciate that. He loved, loved that side of it and he enjoyed the other side of motorsport, which no one sort of talks about too much, that team and that pit lane um, competitiveness as well, you know. But he's out at, um, he's got a, out at Warwick and he's got the, so moved out there. He moved out there to semi-retire. Bought a couple of tow trucks and a couple of breakdown cars to um, for the Booner and, and Warwick area, just two hours west of Queensland. And he's now got a couple of trucks and breakdown cars and guys working. He says out of control, and it's it's more work than he ever wanted to do. He moved out there to retire, and he's busy, busier than he's ever been. So he's healthy and 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 going well. Well, I, I got to say that uh, I'm very well glad that I've met uh, not only yourself and your father and your wife and uh, and all the people who have been involved in Paragon Motorsport and your driving life, but I've, I'm glad I've been there to see quite a bit of it, Cam, and I, I certainly look forward to when I get a chance to come by and, and meet up with some McQueens in Queensland. And thanks very much for joining us and giving us your time from Inside Supercars. It's been fantastic, and we uh, look forward to uh, hearing more adventures from the clan in the near future. So thank you, Cam McLean. No worries, guys. You know you're always welcome. So let us know when you're on your way up. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next time for more or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.